We believe in people, in their stories, and their ability to inspire and change the world. Believing this means we transform our lives, our communities, and the world by doing good. Welcome to the Highlands Ranch Lone Tree Advice Givers, the Corrigan Group podcast, and I am your host, Sandy Corrigan. It is our deepest desire to introduce you to those local advice givers who are the day-to-day world changers, the champions, and those who in their own way are transforming lives, communities, and the world by doing good. Kathy Muni has been married to her husband, Bob, for 41 years and has been involved in education for much of her adult life. She has a master's from the University of Florida and homeschooled their five children for 18 years. Following five years in New Zealand as missionaries where she and Bob planted a Christian church, Kathy helped to start a classical Christian school and was a principal from 2000 to 2012. Kathy's mom, Fran, lived with her family for 19 years. In her later years, Fran suffered from dementia, but the whole family worked together to look after her at home until she passed away. Moving to Colorado was due to an opportunity to help start a classical Christian school in Highlands Ranch. In 2014, Kathy transitioned to working in Bob's office where he was a loan officer. She is now a loan officer specializing in reverse mortgages. Kathy's mission at Silverleaf Mortgage is to love and serve her clients well. My guest today is my friend and amazing, powerful woman in the world, Kathy Muni. And Kathy, we're so honored that you would, I know you are so busy with work because you're in the mortgage business and this is a busy, busy time of the year. And we're going to specifically talk about reverse mortgages and what a great tool they can be. And we want people to get to know you. And on top of all of that, your husband is running for office in Douglas County for the position of treasurer. And so we want to touch base a little bit of that. For those of you who may be new to our podcast, I really encourage you actually to go back and listen to Bob Muni's podcast because Bob talks a lot about their history and their journey. And so we'll dig into some specific pieces of that because we want your point of view. So welcome today on this beautiful day in Colorado, and I'm so glad that we're here together. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks for having me on the podcast. This is quite an honor. Well, and I understand you have your own radio show also. So tell us how we can listen more about what you do and who you are on your own radio show. Let's just talk about that right now. Well, I do. I have a radio show on Legends 810. That's KLVZ here in the Denver metro and it it extends out into the country. And say it again. Legends 810 AM and it's uh, on at Saturdays at 9 AM. And what can we hear when we listen to you on the radio? What do you talk about? Well, it's called Muni for Your Money, the reverse (laughs) mortgage show. And I'm usually interviewing someone. Usually it's either Bob who's also a loan officer and reverse mortgage specialist, or it's uh, Matt Witt, the president and operations manager at Silverleaf Mortgage. So you haven't always been in the mortgage business. No, I haven't. I spent probably 30 years in education. In education. So tell us a little bit about when you first got into education. Well, I got a degree in college in history. Nobody told me you really can't get a job with a degree in history. So I realized that pretty quickly after graduation and went back for a master's degree in education. And so that's what opened the door. But... 
Um, in that period of time, at the end of the 70s, um, I met Bob, and we married and had our first child. And really, I never worked in the public school. I did a little work in private school, but then uh, our first child was born, and before I knew it, we were homeschooling. And back in the day, that was kind of crazy. It was was illegal illegal to homeschool. It was illegal. And I thought it was the most insane thing I'd ever heard of when I, when my friend said she was going to homeschool. And I thought that is crazy. And she said, well, listen to this cassette tape. That's how long, (laughs) how long (laughs) ago it was. Listen to this cassette tape. So I did. And it was like, wow, that begins to make sense that God gave parents the responsibility for their children and um, and that parents are, you know, great educators often, and we're already teaching them, right, how to be potty trained and eat and dress themselves, and it just seemed like the very next step would be to begin to teach them academics. And we said we'd do it year by year, and we did it for 18 years. Wow. With all your kids? With all the kids. All five. All five. Go back, because <laughs> we heard, like, a fun story about God uh, speaking to Bob about you and how he walked past this woman on a park bench and then had a sense that he was to go back and speak to her. And so you take us back to that time. And what did you think about this guy approaching you on a park bench? Were you kind of shocked or excited or tell us what you were experiencing? Well, I was sitting on that park bench feeling very sorry for myself, very lonely. And Now, why was this, that? You know, I don't know what was going on. I was at college. Oh. It was in front of the library at University of Florida. And I was, you know, sitting there sad and lonely. And and uh, this, I saw this guy sit down, you know, some distance away and take out his lunch. It was no big deal. Didn't pay any attention. And he got up and started to walk towards me. And he smiled. And I... And by nature, or was then, I'm not really anymore, but very shy, and I didn't smile at strange men. <laughs> but I did smile back at this guy, and he kept walking. And so I'm like, thank you, Lord, for people who smile, but they always keep on walking. <laughs> <laughs> and did he keep on walking? Well, he walked a distance, and then he stopped. He felt arrested in his tracks, his side of the story, and he felt like he should come back and talk to that girl. And he did. And so, you know, he gave me the usual whatever pickup line that was just ridiculous. Um, Do you, you don't remember what I it was? I don't remember what it was. But we started talking and we talked for a couple of hours. And uh, he was telling me about Buddhism and the, the light and all that stuff. And I had given my life to Christ about six months earlier. And so I was trying to tell him the truth of Jesus Christ. And, you know, there was no conclusion come to at the end of those couple of hours. But he did ask me out for a picnic the next day, which was Saturday. And I went. And then I invited him to church on Sunday. And he came. And, you know, his side of it, he may have shared that he knew right away that we would get married. That if he he continued to see this girl, he was going to marry her. So I didn't hear from him for, I don't know, 24, 48 hours. And unusually for me as well I thought what's going on why hasn't he called me is there a problem you know this I, was, I was not the time when we just picked up the phone and called the guy the no. guy we had to wait for the guy to call us yeah I would not I don't even think I had his phone number <laughs> uh, we didn't so, have cell phones either <laughs> no cell phones no email no twitter nothing so um so I don't know I felt a little uneasy like I wonder why he's not reaching back out Which, that's so silly, because I'd only known him for a couple of days. But um, sure enough, when he did reach out, 
it was because he had decided in his heart that it would be okay to keep seeing me and that we would get married. And In fact, he said he knew right away, but he said he needed to wait a little while to actually pop the question. Right. He told me after two weeks that he thought we would get married, and I told him to just shut up. I was like, <laughs> Are you that kidding? was ridiculous. <laughs> so you guys dated and got married, and we heard about the story of moving uh, or, or, you know, the, the Gainesville house and the Miami house and all that. I understand you also did work outside the home and have your own business at one point, a window washing business. We did. Well, so, that was not until, well, you know what we did, honestly, um, in the early days when we had just one baby was we made macrame plant hangers. Oh, Those I did not hear this story. Really so you got to tell long, <laughs> macrame. Big. So explain what macrame is. Cause there may be some people who don't have a clue. You're going to have to Google <laughs> it and see what it looks like. Well, macrame is in our case, we used jute, like, like, um, cording or something that we you sort of weave it or it's like braiding sort of and we could make these plant hangers and so it's it's this thing that comes down it hangs up on a hook and it comes down and you put your your potted plant inside, inside. this hanging and so were you thing. in florida did you weave shells and things into it as well no we did what I the manufacturer was asked it was something oh, we so could do at home someone. Okay. yeah they dropped off these huge rolls of jute and we whipped out macrame plant in our hangers like nobody's business <laughs> <laughs> and we got paid by the by the plant hanger also when we were in miami um i baked homemade bread and sold it in our apartment complex we were in a condominium complex and, Early uh, entrepreneurs. Oh, I'm telling you, by then we had two children. So we were selling, I was selling the bread. And, you know, I've done lots of little things like that over the years. But when we came back from New Zealand and Bob was unemployed, we needed something to put food on the table. So we um, started a window washing business. A friend of ours told us how to do that. We bought some squeegees and a ladder and, and uh, some buckets and it was just the two of you with squeegees and letters and buckets washing windows. That's right. We what was called the biggest it, lesson that you learned during that time? We called it We Do Windows. And <laughs> there's probably a lot of people who'd really like you guys to do that business here. Oh, <laughs> We're always complaining goodness. about how dirty our windows are. <laughs> what did I learn? Well, humility, because um, I'd gotten an education, so I didn't have to wash windows, I thought. But there I was service, you know, helping people, really wanting to make those windows shine and get every spot off. So uh, perseverance, because it sometimes isn't easy. Florida, the sun shines and shows every spot, just like in Colorado. It does. And now you um, had kids at home. I had kids at home. How many kids at home? By that time, five. So how did you manage your life to have five kids and go out and wash windows? Well, Bob's father was retired and living in our same town, Gainesville, Florida, and he was so wonderful. He would come over and and just be there at the house with the children. By that time, our oldest was 14, so she was a great help with the younger children, and the next oldest was a boy at 12 and a half, and, um, you know, we managed. I mean, you do what you have to do. Uh, by then, my mom had been diagnosed with senile dementia, and she was home with us. And she had been living there how long at that point with you? She had been living with us for 11 years at that stage. And in total, it was 19 years before she passed away that she, she lived with us all that time. So at about year 11, she was diagnosed 
Right. She started showing some signs. You know, I I realized as I look back, there were signs earlier than that, but you don't want to see them or you don't know what it is. When she couldn't count money in New Zealand where we were missionaries, I said to myself, oh, it's because it's different currency. That's why it's, you know, and I would do it for her if we were at the store. Little things. She couldn't pull her paperwork together for taxes. and, And I just said, oh, well, you know, it's it's hard to keep up with all that paperwork, you know, and I would help her and we'd get it over to H&R Block. But, uh, but it, when we got back, um, I found her one day, I had gone to the grocery store and as I drove back, I saw my mom, whom we called grandma, I saw grandma walking away from the house down a sidewalk with our little one who was two years old in tow and the two-year-old's crying and they're walking away from the house. And so I parked the car, I ran after them, what's going on here? And, and my mom said, oh, Uh, Jessica just wanted to find you and we were going to go find you Mm. and I thought oh my goodness something is terribly wrong and so we started the whole doctor thing and and that's when she was diagnosed and then after a couple of years she was in a wheelchair Um, she was not ambulatory after that and and so tell me what was going on for you during that time so here you have all these kids you guys are making trying to make ends meet now you've got your mom that you care for tell me what you learned tell me what you experienced tell me how that changed you well um that takes a lot of love I it does and it's a lot of work but I would not change a minute of it it affected our my life personally it's very difficult to realize you can't confide in your mom anymore you've you're now the parent um and I I say that you know we had uh five children and we were contemplating having a sixth my mom became the sixth Sixth. child she was like the buddy for our youngest who was by then growing into being three years old and four years old and and it's kind of funny we laugh because grandma was taller so Jessica could say grandma can you reach that (laughs) and grandma would get it for her her. partners in crime for the candy jar the cookie jar or something so there were some humorous times but what it what it did was it affected um, my children in that they all have a love for the elderly. Mm. And without ever being asked, the five of them would rotate. Who was in the living room with grandma who was in her uh, chair or in her wheelchair? And they they just knew someone had to always be there with her and they would sort of tap each other. It was amazing phenomenon. I never was asked them to do it. Was she kind of unable to do much for herself by that point when they were all kind of rotating, watching over grandma? Right. She couldn't dress or bathe or toilet herself by then. And um, so, you know, she, we just didn't want her to, to try to get out of that chair and fall. And, you know, so we just felt like someone needed to be there with her. We couldn't leave her alone. It's so interesting how the perspective we choose, right? The way that, you know, I hear the way that you interacted and loved her and the way you taught your children to do that has now become a gift to them. That they know, they know that they know firsthand how to respect and honor and care for people who are elderly, which oftentimes, unfortunately, I see sometimes go by the wayside right now um, in our culture is. I think at one time we knew how to honor the wisdom and the life of someone that was older. And so I love that your children are perpetuating that kind of respect and honor. 
so it seems like just knowing you as my friend and also just even what you've already shared that this lesson of humility has been kind of a theme for you. And so what is, so that's a beautiful quality and yet there sometimes is a shadow piece to maybe a wrong perspective of humility or a colored perspective of humility. And so tell me a little bit about how that humility hasn't helped you in your life or your perspective of it. My perspective. I think it was my misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be humble. So I was always a quiet child and and honestly quite fearful. We it wasn't until we were in New Zealand uh, and we had our church that we were planting that I wouldn't sort of hide from people. <laughs> I Where's thought, your wife? I don't know, she's somewhere uh, hiding she's in the corner. Care of the children. You know, that was my I could hide behind the kids when, when they said, Let's greet everyone at church, I'd have to take care of the kids. <laughs> oh, and and it was, so we're over there when I figured out, wait a minute, this is like people being in my home and I need to be hospital and get over this. So, um, so I was a quiet uh, background kind of person. And so this concept of humility, I thought meant that you don't speak up and you just take whatever uh, is dished out to you. And that isn't what humility is. And it isn't what it means to walk as a Christian um, and be a good example. So even though when, you know, throughout my life, um, before coming to Colorado, I led a lot of things and, uh, you know, did conferences for homeschooling and things like that, I still had this wrong concept. And it played out in people taking advantage of me or um, not respecting me. And I did not know uh, how to navigate that. So when we came to Colorado, however... So wait, before you get there... I just want to play this out a little bit more. So in your perspective or training or upbringing or in the family organizations, whatever, you know, your definition is that a humble person doesn't speak up for themselves, doesn't have a voice, uh, allows others to um, take advantage of you or misbehave and treat you because you're silenced. Right. Right. So you felt like, okay, it's better to keep peace and not speak and all of that. Probably not the it's better to keep peace thought pattern like um, I don't want to rock the boat. That wasn't it. Mm. But it's the concept and misapplied concept that we are to prefer others as greater than ourselves. And so I always did that to a fault truly to a fault, to my own detriment. And it it, it was out of balance. God does say that. We are to prefer others. But that doesn't mean that we are silent and that we don't bring a different perspective to the table. And so what happened is that in my marriage and in my work relationships later on down the road when I began to work starting a a school, uh, what happened is that I wasn't bringing my perspective. And so you were bringing Kathy. Right. So our marriage was um, the worse off because of it. You know, Bob didn't have any wisdom that might I might have shed on the topic because I just thought I should prefer him and be silent. And the same thing in the workplace. I didn't speak up. I worked hard, very hard, but I didn't, uh, I didn't speak up a lot 
when I didn't agree or what have you. And so I think that that causes relationships to be out of balance. And how did you feel? Were you angry? Were you hurt? Were you? No, I was so used to just taking it that when finally um, another, uh, a Christian came into a board meeting and sort of saw the dynamic, he was shocked. To me, that was normal. And he, he's the one who, who really helped me. It was a pastor in the area invited to be on our board for a period of time. And he's the one who took me aside and said, this isn't right. And I was kind of like, really? What's, what's wrong? <laughs> I didn't know because I had just lived in that mm-hmm. In zone. that culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's this conversation so important because I think as leaders, it's really easy to hear the people who are confident and speaking up and I know that in groups I've led or positions of leadership I've had, I have learned over the years that I need to pull out the best in everyone and I need to make space for those people that have a perspective that we really need to hear. I mean, I think that's so important in the world right now. We have a lot of loud chatter and opinions about things and then other people may say, well, I'm not going to I'm not going to speak up. I don't maybe know enough or I shouldn't or oh, this perspective won't be accepted. And yet we need to listen to one another. We need to hear another opposing point of view. We need to consider other perspectives. I often think that if we sat down at a table and we broke bread together, we talked a little bit about how Bob cooked for our group and we did that. And, you know, there were moments, honestly, in our group that were uncomfortable, right? I mean, we were in that together. Mm -hmm. There were differing perspectives or there was times where maybe one of us I mean I'll just take me you know I don't always behave in my best and yet to be in a place where we broke bread together and loved one another and just made space for the perspective and for whatever the person was going through heals healed healed us right right that can heal the world we need more of that and so we'll just put a shout out to every introvert out there who you don't have to post something on Facebook and get a bunch of flack, but maybe there is a place where your perspective really needs to be heard. Your voice needs to be heard. And certainly we've heard a giant outcry this year from the women's community about that, about speaking up against inequity, about speaking up against abuse, mm-hmm. you know, and that's true for women and men, right? So I love your vulnerability. Um, You know, I was able to go to a writer's conference with Paul Young, the author of The Shack, and I just keep thinking about this statement because like you, um, being a church planner and growing up kind of in that culture where women often take a second place and I am not a wallflower, I am somebody who speaks up and so I always had a struggle with why isn't my voice just as important or why can't I be in this position because I'm as competent as anyone else and maybe sometimes even more talented in a specific area. And so feeling that all my life as well, Paul said this, that his definition of humility was being comfortable in your own skin. Hmm. And if we all could feel accepted and welcomed and invited to be just who we are at the table, what could happen? And so how did you overcome that then you know you're in this culture in this place you have this experience so what 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 was your transformation like into being feeling like you could be who you are probably the first thing was retiring from the school where I was principal (laughs) (laughs) so sometimes Um, the necessary ending which is difficult becomes the wonderful new beginning that's even though it might not feel like it at the time that's right 
um, there was always a fear in me that if I spoke up, I would be rejected. Mm. And so that's, you know, I think the introvert has to take a little responsibility that you have to step out and be willing to share. And what I noticed was, as I watched my more extroverted friends, is they were just sharing their opinions right and left, and nobody rejected them. So it finally dawned on me, gee whiz, maybe if I say what I think, I'm not going to be rejected. But coming to Colorado was pivotal for me. Um, As soon as I had um, retired from the school in Florida, an opportunity came up to be able to help start a school out here in Colorado. And it was the beginning of something beautiful. And through that, through that move to Colorado, Bob and I were able to join the small home group, you know, home church that met at your house, Sandy, with you and Tom. And it was transformational for Bob, but it was also transformational for me because finally I was in a, a, with a group of people who really didn't know me well, didn't know me for years and years like the folks where I had been, and were willing to just accept me for who I was and give me the space to share my thoughts and opinions. And, and I was accepted, and, and uh, it was so liberating. It really was life-changing. God did a lot of work in my heart and uh, helped me to move from that little wallflower kind of, you know, person to someone who is, I think, who God created me to be, confident and able to speak and able to go and, and, um, and do what I do now, which I, after a couple of years, I left the school to work in Bob's office and became a loan officer. And, and now I, I spent those 30 years in education with children, but now I get to work with the elderly and I love it. I get to teach them and help share with them what options are for them. But I don't think I could have done this job currently if God had not healed my heart and helped me to see that it's okay to have an opinion and and I can prefer other people and honor them, but I don't have to be silent. No, in fact, I wonder sometimes if people don't step up, if, you know, the rest of us are left not receiving the gift that they are, you know, that Mm -hmm. can be a, a way of withholding. So I'm personally glad that you felt free to be who you are. And I just remember one night specifically where, you had kind of this aha that anything's possible for you. Mm -hmm. And I I think all of us, all of our spirits leapt in that moment to, to say, Oh, you know, Kathy, what Kathy's doing is being a reminder to all of us that anything's possible. So, you know, we need to share our journeys because those experiences help one another, I think, step forward in a greater way. And here you are, you're, teaching in your organization, you're teaching on the radio every week. And um, I want to talk a little bit about what you do specifically. I mean, obviously, it's wonderful who you are, is a honoring and humble being in your own skin, finally, (laughs) right? (laughs) Feeling good about being in your own skin person and wise. And now you're the wife of a hopefully soon to be politician and influencer in our county. There's a lot of misconception about reverse mortgages for people. And I think, you know, we don't get into a lot of education in the in our podcast because it's about who you are. But I do want you to spend a few minutes because it is a tool that can help some people in a really great way. There is education available if you or you have an elderly parent or someone that you know. And so just educate us a little bit about what is it and how can it be helpful. 
Okay. Um, and what you do specifically to help people? What What we do is we share the truth about reverse mortgages. They have a bad reputation because they used to be bad, but the government has changed the laws and addressed the concerns. So that people can be protected. So people are protected, exactly. And so one homeowner has to be 62 or over, has to be the primary residence. They need to have probably about 50% equity in their home unless they're older, like late or mid to late 80s or older. And... Um, it's a way to access the equity. So some folks... Without having to sell your house. Because exactly. really, the traditional way was, okay, now I've got $300,000 worth of equity. Now I have to sell my house, but now where do I live, right? That's right. So it's kind of like letting your house work for you. That's all right. All this equity that you've gained, kind of your own bank. Exactly. What I say is it's like a piggy bank. It has money in it, but how do you access that to make your life better now? Some folks, you know, most folks have not really planned well for retirement with a enough money to carry them through and folks are living longer and longer 96 is now the average for married couples I mean and that's, let's face it where do you go unless it's high risk to get a good return on an investment so real estate is still that fabulous place to get a really decent return on what you invest in exactly which is why we've stated in it all these you know stated <laughs> in all these years so a reverse mortgage is a way to tap into some of that equity if there is a mortgage payment if folks are still making a mortgage payment you know many people have refinanced at 60 65 30 year loan they're going to be paying till they're 95 bless their hearts but now they're on a fixed income retired maybe only have social security but their mortgage payment keeps going up because property values going up is a great thing. However, it impacts taxes. And so taxes go up and that drives the the, um, mortgage payment up. So a lot of my clients um, are telling me, what do I do? Do I pay the mortgage? Do I buy food or do I pay for my medications? Mm. Another thing that wasn't factored in back when they were 60, 65, Mm -hmm. the cost of medications. So a reverse mortgage eliminates the mortgage payment for them. They still have to pay property tax and insurance, but it eliminates that principal and interest payment, which is often and significant. And that really eases that monthly budget. It's so helpful for them. Many of my other clients have no mortgage. So they're sitting on this asset that is not really helping them, but they're still struggling to make ends meet. I had a guy say to me, I just want to be able to go to a ball game and have a beer, you know, and, and, but he can't because he doesn't have enough margin in his finances. Doing the reverse mortgage gave him that so he can enjoy his retirement. I've had others that have used the money to buy an RV and travel. That was their life's goal. So no house payment, no RV payment. It's The money is not taxable, and it can be used for any purpose. So the uses are myriad. And another feature of the reverse mortgage can be a line of credit. And the line of credit is money that the folks don't pull out. They let it sit there, but it grows at about 5% a year, guaranteed mm. growth compounding annually. Mm. Most retirement funds aren't like that. Right. They're That's tied correct. to the stock market or they're tied to something else that fluctuates, and this doesn't. It's guaranteed. So should they need the money down the road, it's available. If they never need it, that's fine. But it's it's a way to unlock, unlock that equity. And have the potential to be able to right. be there. So if children of elderly parents or elderly people want to get a hold of you to talk more about this, how do they find you? They can call me directly. It's a direct line to me, 720-458-4041. That's 
720-458-4041. Silverleaf Mortgage. We're also online, silverleafmortgages, with an S, dot com. We have a Facebook page. But those are, you know, it, it pays to know the options, right? It does. And I'll just say what I love about you, because I've known you now for several years and known you in this environment to know that you've gone to people's homes and talked to them. You've I've always met with calls. families to make sure that everybody's on the page because, you know, kids could look at this as, whoa, you're spending my legacy. And yet, have we really thought about, though, how we would take care of an aging parent and that this is a way? And so I love that you're very patient and you're education oriented and you help people understand both the pros and cons so they can really make a good decision. And you guys have done things to help people fix up their home for appraisal and you know you really your organization and company and Matt you know the owner and you have gone above and beyond to make this a really good experience and a a really positive experience when so many elderly are facing sometimes people that are trying to defraud them or you know take advantage of them that's not who you guys are and really respect and you do forward mortgages too right you do we do we do do all kinds mm -hmm. of mortgages um we um we do the most uh, reverse mortgages. We're the top uh, reverse mortgage broker in Colorado, and we're in the top 100 in the nation mm. because we do so many, and that's to everyone's that's advantage. Your specialty as well, right? Yeah, and it's to their advantage because we have the experience. We've seen it and we've done it, and so we can we can take care of their situation as well. I have clients in their 60s that do a reverse mortgage as soon as they're able. One borrower has to be 62 because they want that line of credit feature and they know that that's going to grow and in 20 years when they're in their 80s and they might need that money it will be a huge there for them uh yeah huge asset so uh your last name is muni and we're tossing around the money part of right uh, money for muni for your money muni is for your the, money my and name bob is the money on the ballot right <laughs> and so you guys are County. you've always been both involved in you know, campaigns and, you know, causes. And, you know, Bob told us a little bit about, you know, that background for you guys in terms of your service to people. But are you excited about this new endeavor for him? Or like when he came home and said, oh, I think I'm going to run for office. What was your reaction? Well, he came home and, and said, you know, this is an opportunity. What do you think? And so we prayed about it. And we both felt strongly that this was what he was to go for. And so, yeah, I'm very excited. We're out knocking on yeah, doors. I was going to say, you've really been his partner <laughs> to meet people and get to know yes. them and answer questions and give them info and, yes. you know, and be a great partner. So what are you most excited about for him in hopefully this position? Well, you know, right before the opportunity arose, we had prayed and asked God to extend our tent pegs, which is something from the Bible that sort of means expand our influence. And then this happened. And so as a result, we've had we've met so many people um, and been able to be an influence, be, you know, be able to touch their lives. And so that's what I know will happen for Bob when he's elected he will be able to to have a seat at the table to be able to influence the lives of the folks that work in his office the um, heads of other departments with whom he has to interface it just it's um it's really a wonderful opportunity to be a blessing to be a servant to be able to help and to influence people's lives on a personal level 
So I'm going to ask you a couple questions as we kind of wind down here. But one is, what is one of the things you passionately want to and desire to accomplish before you're out of this life and into the next one? Personally, uh, for you. For me personally, it would be to be able to... Uh, continue to bring people into the kingdom, to be able to continue to share the love of Christ in a way that is healing and transformational for people that I meet. And um, I, I wasn't always that way. Had you asked me a question about what was I afraid of in the past, I told you how shy I was that even as a pastor's wife, I was kind of busying myself so I didn't have to greet people and because I was just fearful scared to death really of people and uh and so being sort of healed from that and then being able and willing to be that pastor's wife and be a good support for bob and 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 teach bible study and all that stuff and then moving into being able to share my faith and i think part of it is my age now being in my 60s I'm just not afraid anymore. And of course, the transition happened before I was 60, but I'm really happy being in my 60s <laughs> because I can uh, just love people genuinely, and I'm not worried or fearful of being rejected. And that's a great place to be coming from to share God's love. Someday, uh, so recently I was able to attend my uncle who was 93, his funeral, and I was so honored by the way his children spoke about who he was. And so what do you hope your children and grandchildren will say about you one day? Mm. Well, I hope they will say that I was a woman of love that and supported and encouraged them and those around me. Um, I, I pray that they all will know Jesus, that they all do, and as they as more are added to our family and as the grandchildren are growing up and, and will marry, that all of them will come into the kingdom. Um, I hope that they will say that I was a woman of action, you know, who accomplished things that were good things, not just to have done it, but to have really impacted and changed lives in, in the process of my life. Well, I would say we've heard lots of stories from both you and Bob about how you've already done that. Um, we're very excited to see what's going to happen in June with the election and the part that hopefully both of you get to play. And I hope that, you know, people will, whether they want a mortgage or not, reach out to you and get to know you because you're a powerful, lovely influencer and leader in the world. And I just thank you so much um, for spending your time out of your day. I know today was super busy to be here and to honor us and let people know who you are on our podcast. So thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I really, really enjoyed it and I appreciate it. Thank you. Our pleasure. This is Sandy Corrigan. You've been listening to the Highlands Ranch Lone Tree Advice Givers podcast from the Corrigan Group. You can follow our podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to iTunes podcast and subscribe. We would love for you to rate and review our podcast. Join us again and thank you for the way you transform your lives, your communities, and the world by doing good.